You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. Amen. Starting this church was uh, without question the most satisfying and the most frustrating thing I have ever gotten to be a part of. And I have two teenagers, so that should say a lot. Um, Most of the struggles I faced as a church planter, especially in the first few years, were not with my denomination. Uh, And the struggles I faced were not with the small group of people who originally made up this congregation. Most of the struggles I faced were without question with myself. I struggled with that delightful combination, I don't know if you're familiar with it, of uh, ego and (laughs) self-doubt. I struggled with depression. I struggled with taking things personally that really had nothing to do with me. But what I struggled with the most was trying to control things. Specifically, I wanted and attempted to socially engineer this church to be what I thought it should be, to have the people in it I thought should be there. And if you believe, as I do, that we human beings are all simultaneously sinner and saint, that we're a mixed bag, so to speak, you begin to see that the things we do can be for both really noble reasons and really selfish reasons at the same time. But we tend to tell ourselves just one of these stories, even though nothing is ever only one thing. Okay, so the short version of the story that a lot of you know already is this. In 2011, after three years of trying everything I possibly could to get this church to grow to more than 40 people and absolutely nothing working and feeling like a failure at this church planting business, I preached Easter morning at Red Rocks and the Denver Post ran the story on the cover and the next week this church magically doubled in size. What you would think would make me happy. But instead it freaked me out because our weird church was suddenly inundated by people who looked like our parents. Now, you can read the whole story and just how horribly I behaved in a book that I wrote, if you're interested. Uh, And you can also read about my repentance and what snapped me out of it. Um, uh, The person responsible for that, Asher O'Callaghan, is actually sitting right there. (laughs) Anyhow... um, All right, uh, for the purpose of this sermon, uh, just trust that for a couple weeks in 2011, I was convinced that this sudden change in the church was a problem and one I needed to fix. And I would call my friends and colleagues and I would go off on convincing and finely worded rants about the whole thing, so convincing that in fact, almost everyone I made my case to agreed with me. Now, that's how I knew I was right. But the thing that was also true and never came up in my rants 
What was true was I was trying to protect a congregation that, you know, marginalized people felt comfortable in. But what was also true is that I was afraid and trying to protect my image. Still, everyone I talked to agreed with me, and this sudden change in the church demographic really was a problem just like I thought it was. Okay, so let's just put a pin in that for a sec. In our gospel for today, Jesus is in the synagogue when a man with an unclean spirit enters. It doesn't, it doesn't say what kind of unclean spirit. Was it a spirit of arrogance, a spirit of addiction, a spirit of domestic violence? We don't know. We just know it was unclean. But what interested me all week while I studied this story is the way that the unclean spirit freaked out when it saw Jesus. You know why? Jesus was the wrong audience for it. In the Gospels, the ones who most reliably recognize who Jesus really is are not his disciples or the religious leaders of the day. It's always the demons. The demons recognize Jesus, and they're all pretty much freaked out by him. Now, the unclean spirit saw Jesus, and it was like, oh, hell no. You know why? It wanted to be left alone to do its work. It wanted to remain unchallenged. It wanted to find people who would co-sign on its BS. And it knew Jesus is definitely the wrong audience for that. He was right. As soon as Jesus heard this unclean spirit talk his nonsense, Jesus commanded it to shut the hell up. Okay, so back to my unclean spirit. When I was reading this story this week about the showdown between Jesus and an unclean spirit, I remembered something, that during the time that I was ranting about how the church was changing in the wrong ways, I chose my audience for those rants really carefully. See, at the time, my friend Sarah and I usually talked several times a week, and I told her everything, and I remember very clearly how the one thing I didn't tell her about, even though I told so many other people that I wasn't even as close to, the one thing I didn't share with her was my convincing little rant about how dangerous it was that the church was changing. You know why? Because I knew Sarah was not the right audience. Sarah is like soaked in the gospel. So I avoided her for those two or three weeks in 2011 because I did not want her to cast out the unclean spirit I was carrying around. See, unclean spirits are like the kings and queens of confirmation bias. They only want to be in situations where they go unchallenged. Our demons want to keep us isolated away from grace, away from recovery, away from community. But Jesus doesn't stand for this. He's like the demon slayer, the one who wants more for us than what we settle for, the one who loves so hard that he tells the voices that shame and the unclean spirits that keep us in pain and the demons that lie and even the winds that storm around us to be silent. Forget what would Jesus do. I need to know what would Jesus tell to shut the hell up in my life? He says to the unclean spirit what he still says to all of our unclean spirits, which is be silent and leave this person. But here's the thing. It, it did leave, but not without a fight. It screamed and it convulsed, the text tells us. 
I know this may feel like an unfair question, but I wonder if it was the unclean spirit who fought to stay in the man, or the man who struggled to not have to let go of the unclean spirit. That's a, that's a sticky issue, but this week I started thinking about how hard it is to be honest about the payoffs we get from the things we say we want to be free from. You can ask any alcoholic in recovery about that. When I was still drinking, I'd bemoan my hangovers and the fact I couldn't manage to keep a decent job, but there was a payoff. I got to live without any responsibility. Nobody expected anything from me. I could do as I like and no matter how it affected others. And the best payoff was I got to be, the ine- I got to be inebriated whenever life or basic human emotions or the results of my bad decisions started feeling too bad. I mean, even today, the unclean spirit of anger and resentment does cause me to suffer But also, I'm sort of attached to keeping it because then I get to remain the aggrieved party rather than the one who needs to change. (laughs) So just know that if the unclean spirit of consumerism or self-pity or self-harm or white supremacy or entitlement or anxiety catches even a glimpse of Jesus of Nazareth, it's going to say, oh, hell no. And we might even fight to stay stuck. But Jesus came so that we might have life and have it abundantly. And that means he does not abandon us to our unclean spirits. No matter what finely worded rant we might have about why our unclean spirit are actually good and noble, no matter if the unclean spirit we have has been in our family for generations, No matter if we simply cannot imagine life without it, Jesus can. He can imagine life without it for us. This week, Pastor Reagan reminded me that the renunciations in the baptismal liturgy that I'm so fond of, that moment we stand together and announce the devil and all his empty promises, he reminded me it has another name. The renunciations are also called the general exorcism. We repeat the renunciations every time there's a baptism because we are a forgetful people. And we need reminded that we can have life and life abundant. And we're reminded that there are challenges to this that are not something we overcome alone. We easily settle for what we already know. We fall for empty promises because there is sometimes a small payoff We live with the illusion that being covered in unclean spirits is just the way it is. But when I'm at this table and I look around and I see you, people, praise God, of every age, every demographic and variation, people that enter this space trusting Jesus has defeated your unclean spirits, that gives me the courage to take Jesus up on the offer and tell what binds me to shut the hell up. And you know, you can look around and you can see that my fear that a certain demographic change would water down the weirdness of this church was unfounded. Uh, (laughs) Look around, it is much weirder this way. Uh, (laughs) We we don't match and uh, we were never supposed to match. And it's beautiful 
And the people I had a hard time welcoming at first, now I cannot imagine being house for all sinners and saints without. We aren't us without you. And thanks be to God for that. Amen. Amen.